1: Joining us today is Chris Aiken, owner and operator of Webfoot Kennels, and also a representative from Sport Dog Brand. Chris, welcome to the DU podcast. Thank you, buddy. Hey, man, we got you on the show today, and we're going to talk a little bit of e-collars. We're going to talk just some overall training. Um, but before we get into this, I kind of want you to give an introduction of yourself to our audience as far as where you're located, what you do, how long you've been doing it. And I think a lot of our audience is probably pretty familiar with it, but I think that really, it'll be great for you to just kind of introduce yourself.
2: Well, I'm, I'm from Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is in the northeast corner of Arkansas, about an hour, hour and a half from Memphis. And uh, we're right in the middle of the, the heart of all the ducks, and so we've got Black River, White River, Langley, Cash River, Mississippi River, uh, you know, Langley, all of them. I mean, I'm just my house is right dead in the middle, so we're in duck country. Uh, you know, we live and breathe and think ducks year round, and uh, so I I've, I've got a kennel that I operate and I have for 31 years uh, for duck hunters and people wanting family pets and companions, and we train for them. And uh, you know, it's a it's a large uh, kennel. We operate around a hundred dogs at a time, and uh, so we train dogs for other people. We also sell puppies and we sell trained dogs and all that. So, so we're just uh, we're in the dog business and we're in the dog world and we train lots of dogs. And you know, we've been doing it long enough now. We're training everybody's third and fourth dog, and now we're training for their children and and all that. It's a big time repeat business for us, and we got the same clients now we literally had twenty and thirty years ago. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, watched us all grow old together and bringing their kids and grandkids out and all that. And, uh, you know, just a big family affair for us. So uh, it's, it's a great business. It's been really good to us. And it kind of keeps us in the duck hunting world year-round, if you know what I
1: mean. Absolutely. And you're right. You are right in the heart of duck country for sure. We, we are. Um, you know, and before we get into that, you know, into the other conversation that we're supposed to have, you know, just because we've you right here on short notice, you know, what's your expectations on duck season right now?
2: Well, we're, we're bone dry here. I mean, it is as dry. My place is right on the side of the cash river and it's as low right now as it's been in, in years and with no forecast of any kind of substantial rain in the future. So I think we're going to have a, you know, a real big, uh, spectacular show. Uh, our season comes in uh, here in just a week from Saturday. I think we're going to have a bang-up hunt on Saturday and probably an okay hunt on Sunday, and then it's going to fizzle out after that. Uh, But it's because we just don't have enough surface water here to hold these birds and keep them in here. So, uh, you know, everything that's pumped, uh, you know, we got over $3 diesel here in Arkansas right now, even with farm fuel. And so people are not getting crazy with flooding fields for no reason. I mean, if somebody's got water in a the field, there are going to be some gun barrels in, if you know what I'm saying. So these ducks aren't going to have very many places to refuge. They're not going to have any places to rest. So I, I suspect it's going to be a pretty weak start uh, after the first couple of days. I think it'll really, really be weak, and we're going to need some weather up north to get some some ducks in here. Uh, You know, uh, last year we had a real good cold front, lots of water. Uh, You know, first 10 days were just lights out and uh, just killed them every day. And then the weather kind of got mild up north and and, uh, just kind of fizzled out on us. And we kind of had a pretty flat season after that. But, you know, we're just so weather-related down here in the south, uh, depending on what happens north of us. And we need lots of snow, lots of ice, you know, good cold temperatures to keep that snow and ice on the ground, cover up that feed supply so these birds come on down here to us. And uh, seem like every year it gets warmer and warmer above us, you know. So uh, it's just uh, uh, we're, these ducks that get down here now—they're they're migrating on the calendar, not because they have to. And uh, you know, so we we just don't have the numbers that we're looking for uh, by depending on that calendar versus calendar ducks, I call them, versus you know force ducks, you know. And uh, so uh, anyway, but it's uh, it's gonna be fun, you know. We kind—I'm—I'm I'm in my mid fifties now, and I'm kind of going hunting for a different reason, you know. I'm not your guy. On, facebook's got to have a you know a stack of greenheads on there to have a good day i'm i just enjoy being out there enjoy going spend time with my family and my friends and my dogs and, and we get to if duck gets in the way and we shoot him so bad but the rest of it, we're gonna have a good time uh no matter what you know i've missed one day since i was a junior in high school and uh i go every day and i wouldn't miss it for nothing and i, I just love the Everything about it, you know, the, the atmosphere, the memories, and everything we got. So I, I go for a lot of different reasons than most people do. I'm, I'm, I don't care about the killing. I have killed a few, but I'm, and I intend to kill a few more. But I, that's not the reason I go.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, I think you're right. I think the lack of water across the landscape in Arkansas right now is probably going to hurt us after uh, you know those first few days. You know, like you, know, you said, you got your calendar ducks in there, and I think uh, we'll probably preview that on a podcast coming up here very soon. So let's roll into some uh, retriever training conversation and uh you know specifically we are we're, we're talking sport dog brand products here in e collars um and, and we'll do some kind of mid-season you know retriever training tips and things like that but i really want to get it started um kind of where we left off with top, Tom Dawkins uh last month um, he came on the show talking about sport dog brand products and things like that and we really got into the e collar stuff and And what what he was kind of explaining is his time frame for introducing the e-collar. And I kind of wanted you to provide your perspectives on when and how and why is like the first step when you start introducing your dogs to the e-collars.
2: Well, it's real simple. Now, the first thing anybody needs to understand about an e-collar is e-collars are merely a polishing tool, okay? So let's think of us building furniture and let's think of the final step being the, the shellac okay and the, that final step that makes that wood grain really pop out and really make the shine and really the the part that really polishes and the part that really makes that wood really look good right and it also protects the wood and and so e an e-collar to me is that shellac that varnish okay and so the deal is you got Anything you do with e collar, everybody calls it a training collar. And it is a training collar to a point, but it's a polishing collar is really what it is. And I can't believe that term's never has never been labeled that because at the end of the day, that's really all it is. We train these dogs to do heel, sit, stay, kill, hear, know, all that with a collar, whether it's a standard collar or a choke chain or a pinch collar or just your normal nylon or leather collar and leash way before we ever start using a e-collar so we actually have that dog doing the commands whether it be heel sit or stay or kill before we use the collar to reinforce that to polish it and to back it up okay you know the, the g- grandest thing about a e-collar is is there's no distance limitations you know there's no uh timing limitations and so your timing and your your effort that level it takes to use e collar is so minimal, uh, that, that, you know, your timing can be impeccable. Uh, the, the physical part of it can be so easy for anybody, whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, uh, you can use it. And then the other thing about it is, is that, you know, they're, they're, the main thing is there's no, there's no, uh, really uh limitations on how far away so if, if if your dog is out there at 100 yards and you call him to you and he looks up at you and says you know what i'm smelling this rabbit i'm gonna find this rabbit instead i i don't i don't really need you telling me what to do well then you can reinforce what you've already taught him and encourage him to come to you and i I tell, like I was telling a guy yesterday, I said, the difference in wearing a e e-collar or not is kind of like your mom and dad with you. Uh, you act a little different when you're in front of your mom and dad than you do when mom and dad's not around. And that's kind of the same way wearing an e-collar. You know, it makes you a, it makes you a citizen. Uh, you know, it'll make you a Christian in a hurry. And, uh, you know, and uh, it just turns a, a good dog into a great dog. And that's what we're all trying to do. We've all got good dogs. We're just trying to make them great, you know?
1: That's a good point. You know, the dogs are acting like you brought it up and i've never really thought about that way like you're when your parents are right next to you you know you're, you're acting a little better than you know if you're just running wild out there you know nobody's looking over your shoulder um what are some of the the basics of that introduction that you use for your dogs and like you know what are some of the first steps that you do um, when you're introducing that that e-collar
2: he heel is my heel is my go-to on that So when we get a dog and we're walking around on lead, we start teaching that dog pressure on, pressure off. So when the dog's out of spot, we're using pressure on with a leash and a collar, uh, you know, just by literally like setting the hook on the collar, like you would if you were fishing or snagging, making that dog uncomfortable when he's out of position. And then when the dog's in position, we let all the pressure off the leash and reward him, if you will, so that the dog is rewarded when he's at our side, which is what we want. Well, once you get that dog walking in long straight lines and we start mixing it up and start doing circles, we start doing figure eights, backing up. And the whole time we're harassing this dog to stay on our side. And the better he gets, the more we ask out of him. I mean, you can actually be walking around out in the yard. Um, you know, in a a horrible zigzag circles and patterns and squares and just everything and making this dog stay at your side. And, I mean, you'll know when he's trying to do well. He's going to be looking up at you, going to be figuring out where you're at next. He's trying to explain to you, hey, I don't need any more pressure on my neck. I get it. You want me at your side? I'm going to stay there. Once you get that response out of the dog and you see him trying to be good, then you can go to the e-collar turn it down on low on a one usually is what we do and we'll put it on the dog's neck and instead of us using the leash you know to snatch the hook like you will when you're fishing we just start applying pressure with with the butt and we're using it on one and then we here's where we start introducing the dog to the collar and we're also figuring out what his pain tolerances are with a collar i've seen 100 pound labs that can barely take a one i've seen 35 pound females that can take a six or a seven and you know so you got to figure out where that dog's pain tolerance is and usually what happens when i'm starting a dog off it'll go one i'll go to two i'll go to three and then all of a sudden once they start figuring it out i can go back down to two back down to one and i run 90 percent of my dogs on ones and twos on a collar even on a medium or a low setting. It just doesn't take a whole lot, and you're always trying to figure out the lowest setting you can use to get the most response, okay? It's kind of like using your, your money. You want to use the least amount of money to get the most in return, and that's what we're always trying to do with the e-collar as well, as trying to use the least amount of pressure to get the most bang for our buck, and, and so that's what we're looking to do, but uh, I teach the dog to heal, and once I do, then we start some sit. Uh, we start some stay and then we start some kennel and we use it. So everywhere we're using the, the leash and collar to encourage the dog to go pressure on, pressure off. We go back through it with e collar and and we do that with e collar and back to where my word is we polish with e collar. And then the great news is, is once we start like here, we call the dog to us. We've got a leash on it. We say here, we snatch the dog to us. If he sits there for a second, we just put pressure on the leash and snap him to us or the long line or whatever, now we're using an e-collar. Well, now all of a sudden, instead of, you know, us using a 30-foot long line or a leash, now we've, it's unlimited because we got an e-collar on there, so we really don't have any limitations. Uh, you know, you know, you got as long as that collar will reach, which a lot of them will reach up to, you know, half, three-quarters of a mile. That's a long way when you're doing obedience, you know. So so anyway, so, uh, you know, and, and, and talking about the e-collars, you know, I've been doing this so long. I bought my first e-collar in the 80s. And it was horrific, you know. It was a, uh, it was a uh, uh, had one red button, and uh, I mean, it, you could weld with it, or train your dog with it, or you know, or, or, or start a fire with it. It was hot, hot, hot. And today's world, you know, these collars, the technology's come so far, and, and you know, with sport dog collars, you got twenty-four different levels. Minimum, you got a low, medium, and high on the receiver. Each one of them's got a you know a vibrate up to seven or eight. Uh, depending on which collar you got, and you can adjust that thing on the fly at any point in time. And, and I tell people, you know, that they're like, well, why do I want to adjust that thing so much? I'm like, okay, so so your dog's down there smelling that rabbit I'm talking about. Every infraction uses a different level on the collar. So if we're just doing obedience and you're using a one or a two, if we're in a duck blind and they're breaking on the shot or they're out there hunting a, hunting a cripple and the, and the duck flew off and you need them to come back to you and a one or two doesn't do it, no big deal. You can flip that thing to two or three or four or five, whatever you need, in order to get the response we're looking for. And that's the greatest technology that anybody could ever ask for, uh, because it's everything so adjustable on the fly, you know. And so now we're not having to put any undue pressure on the dog It doesn't need to be. So that's just a beautiful story, you know. I, the, the dogs are different today because of it. You know, the breedings are better because of it. I mean, we have literally. Change the world that we breed dogs to that are e-collar savvy versus the old dogs that were kind of manhandled more. Those dogs are a thing of the past. Those old manhandled dogs are long gone. Nobody wants to deal with them, and nobody wants to. Everybody wants dogs that have been bred and understand and do well with e-collars. And I,
0: you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. It's
2: it's a beautiful thing for sure.
0: Do you have a
1: specific product that, that you like for... Let's just use this for an example. You know, you have um, you're, you're introducing a dog to, you know, the collar, uh, introducing the, the owner, or maybe even like an amateur trainer. Do you have a specific, uh, collar that, that you're like, Hey man, you should probably, you know, start out with this one right here,
2: man. I used 1825 is the one I use and I use it year round really. I mean, that's the one I I, I trained with. That's the one I hunt with. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I just, I mean, I can, you know, obviously I can get Get whatever colors we want, and I just the one I just use, and and that's when I sell to my clients. That's when we encourage everybody to get. And, and the money difference—don't get me wrong. There's money difference in the the the, the small ones and with the low the low uh, distance that the, the color will work. And then that one, I think the cheapest ones in the $150, 160 range. The one I'm using is three hundred. Um, not that that's not a lot of money difference, but it's really not for what you get in return. And uh, you know, it's just a one stop shop, and to do everything with it versus trying to have two or three different collars, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, and, and you know where everything is, you know where everything's adjusted to, it's just just real easy. So the 1825 was without a doubt my 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 favorite collar they've got.
1: So, you know, now that we're getting close into duck season, we're, we're creeping up, we're almost there. Um, what, what were some of the just, you know, this is just more on the training and focus, um, you know, that I want to get into with you. W- what are the types of things that you were working on, let's say, Two months ago, so let's say late summer in comparison to two weeks before duck season with you know and it can be any specific example of a dog of a, a dog. but what, what is the difference in that training mindset from two months ago to now?
2: So in the last two months and, and prior to from February to let's say now, okay we've our big focus, we, we train a lot of hunt test dogs. We do a lot of standard marks and we're from 50 to 250 yards out. We're doing a lot of uh, low distractive, uh, low thrill, uh, just more, we're just doing standard marks. We we signal for the bird, guy shoots a gun, blows a duck call, throws the bird, dog goes out there, picks it up, comes back, okay? So pretty low, you know, low stress on the dog, pretty easy deal. There's no real big tough distractions. Uh, It's not very thrilling. It's the same old crap, you know, every day, blah, blah, we're running blinds. We're doing the same thing there. we we'll line them up, send them, stop them, cast them, whatever. Okay. Now we get into bright before hunting season. Now we want high distraction, lots of fun, stuff in your face, uh, we may swap, and we've got pits buried with dog boxes in them. We've got duck blinds with ramps out the front. Uh, we've got, you know, boats that we're working out of. We'll use all this stuff right prior to duck season. Uh, but lots of, man, there's lots of duck calling at the kennel right now. There's lots of hooping and hollering. You know, kill this one, get that one. Hey, David, shoot that one. Hey, a cripple. Uh, we just we're simulating these hunts and we're acting like these idiots that I hunt with every day. you know we'll volley and everybody woohoo, man, did you see that boom boom hair's a cripple shoot that one boom boom you know and there's all this distractions going on for the dog and we, we're really not that big on doing that from February to say you know the first of November, but that's all we do in November and but it's just it's a lot of fun and it's kind of comical to watch but it, it takes a lot of energy as many dogs as we train but I tell you it's a, these dogs they, they really get jazzed up by it and they really love it and they love the energy. And, uh, you know, they, they got to learn to deal with it because, man, that's what they're going to have out there in a the hunting scenario.
1: You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. You know, that those types of distractions, you know, I've seen even some of the better dogs, you know, just get totally thrown off by somebody hooting and hollering or randomly shooting absolutely. a creeper. Absolutely. They can,
2: they can blow fuses in their panel pretty quick. Yeah. Yep,
1: for sure. So when so now the duck season started. Let's say let's move up. So now we're talking mid-December. Let's say even we'll use Arkansas as a good example because that's an easy one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The split. All right. You've had 10 days or whatever, you know, that first opener. Um, And what are some of the more common mistakes that you see, you know, people come back to you like, hey, my dog is doing this or my dog is doing that. What are some of the more common mistakes? And then how do you approach that?
2: You know, I think people really drop their standards during hunting season. Uh, you know, when we're training, man, we got our we got our training whistle on. We got our you know we got our collar in our hand. We're, we're focused directly on the dog. It's all we think about. It's all about the dog. You know, and we're, that's that's our focus. And and I think people really do a good job. You know, ninety percent of the time, doing that. We get to the duck blind. We get to the pit. We lean up against that tree and we got that duck collar around our neck and we forget what we're doing. Okay. And now the focus becomes off the dog and it becomes about me. And me killing, okay And so we'd lose our standard. We let the dogs get away with whining. We let them get away with breaking. We let them get away with running down the bank of the pond. We let them get away with cash refusals. We let them get away with hunting too much. I mean we get away, let them get away with bloody murder and and look and, and I'm not telling you I'm any different. I'm not I can't put up with a breaking dog. I sure can't put up with a whining dog, but I'm not saying my standard doesn't get dropped too. I got eight of my closest friends there or we're all there entertaining, we're having a good time. I don't want to be out there being drill sergeant and hunt one, two, three. It's all about, hey, you know, give me some more shells and hurry up with them sausage and biscuits and, you know, let's kill some more ducks. And so it's not a, as formal as it is when you and I are out on an afternoon training session, if you will, you know what I'm saying? And so we've we got to remember that a dog doesn't have a, doesn't have a switch on top of their head training mode hunting mode. So we need to try to make our standard as close as we can to the same no matter where we're at no matter if we're hunting no matter if we're at home no matter if we're at the park no matter if we're at grandma's house or no matter if we're in the training field we've got to try to make that standard because dogs love clarity and they love us being the same person they don't like multiple personalities any more than we do and so we need to be the same person no matter what and that's when And only then are we going to get the standard that we're looking for across the board. You know what I mean? Because dogs are very, very good at giving us what we want. We just got to ask for it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a good point is, you know, having the hunters really focus on the dog. And, and we've talked about this on this show with almost every trainer that we've had on is, you know, especially with a new dog, um, the first hunt and the first, you know, couple hunts, even, you know, focusing on that dog and, and maybe not taking a gun that day. And that's, that's tough for some hunters. And, and I think, but you can prove a good point where with like, you know, the dogs don't know any different. Um, but if you're totally different and not really as focused on, on the retrieving, um, it can cause problems. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's something for you to definitely keep in mind.
2: Well, the next thing, so, so the big thing that I see, you talk about new dogs, the best thing. Or something I think really needs to be addressed at all times is is that you know so the, like me I, I've got a nine year old dog that I've hunted every day of season his whole career he's nine years old now it's time to start kind of thinking about bringing on the new dog and hunting him a little bit and I've and I've got two of them I've got a lab and and. Uh, And I've got a golden retriever, and they're both very, very trained, and they're very good dogs, and they're babies. One of them, the golden retriever, is two years old, and she just passed the national, which is quite a feat at that age, and a very, very nice dog. We've got a master title, a hunter champion title, but it doesn't matter. Dog's never been hunted, so I'm fixing to start hunting her this year. And, uh, but the dog doesn't have any hunting experience. Well, I've got to remember that she's not going to be Finn on the first hunt or the second hunt or the third hunt. Finn's picked up thousands of ducks. He's been in that boat. He's left that lodge in that boat every day of season. He knows exactly where, when we get to the blind, where he goes. He knows exactly what his job is. He knows where they're going to fall. We got a south wind. He knows where they're going to fall. We got a north wind. He knows where the cripples are going to go before they go. He knows all that. And so you really got to have a pocket of mulligans when you take that young dog out there and you got to have a pretty dead gun sense of humor when you go out there and realize that you were dealing with a six year old kid that went duck going duck hunting on his first time doesn't matter how much money you spent with a trainer or how much time you spent with that dog throughout the season, don't matter how good he is or what he can do, this is his first hunt. And you have to be extremely patient. And And you will see this light on top of their head, if you will. You know, this is kind of an imaginary deal, but I see it all the time. The first few days, that light's kind of dim. And then about three days into it, sometimes it's two days into it, sometimes it's after Christmas. But I, you'll see this light come on. It'll be bright. And man, and that means that dog figured it all out. I see what we've been training for. I see what we're doing. I see what our goals are, and I'm going to implement them right here and now. And it is a beautiful thing as a dog owner to watch that light come on, if you will, on top of their head and become that waterfowl dog that we've all dreamed of owning, you know? And, uh, and that's that's what it's all about. And that's what uh, they're all bred to do and we're all trained to do. And now we're just getting to reap the benefits.
1: Yeah. No, and that's, that's another good point where, you know, bringing a young dog in there is always... You know, that's always, uh, I guess once you get accustomed to having an experienced dog and and there's some guys that I hunt with who have some, some pretty good dogs and then there's some younger dogs, um, and some of the experienced dogs, like you said, you know, they know when you get out, they know where they're going to sit. You know, they know where to look, they know, you know, when you start calling, they know exactly what you're calling at and and what, and it does, it makes a huge difference. And then when that young dog gets a couple seasons under its belt, um, you know, they're doing the same thing. So it's all situational and it's, it's probably, you know, just all the part of the process. Of a dog growing up, which is man, it's exhausting. crazy.
2: I'd love to. I wish I could tap into uh, my dog's brain because I I know in the morning he'd have some good input every morning about where we ought to go with the wind and the, the sun or the clouds or the, the cloud cover or whatever. Because he's just done it so much, he just knows the drill. And he knows what he's done, and and uh, man, that's just I tell you. Like last year, I kept saying I was going to hunt this other little young dog, and I, I'm on hunter tomorrow. I'm on hunter tomorrow. I'm on hunter tomorrow, and I'm on because every morning I'd get up, and there he is laying there in the bed. And I'd get up, and man, as soon as he'd see me get finished, you know, getting dressed... And he'd jump up and start spinning circles in the bedroom going, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, how am I going to leave that at home? You know what I mean? And, and go out there and take her and, and do the same. She didn't even know why we were there, you know. And so uh, I'm like, I'm okay. you know, I don't want to miss one day with you, buddy, but I really need to be hunting this young dog and getting her started and you know, with her career and, and doing whatever. But these old dogs are sure fun. And they're, they're like an old pair of boots or a old pair of gloves just fit just right. And it fits you just right. You know, we've, we've built them and we've customized them to what we want. Whether it's in the living room or, you know, in the bedroom or, or actually in a duck blind, they're, they're that's a product of what we've built and, and the dogs that we have. And it's, it's real easy to be proud of them, you know, and, and get out there and enjoy them. But you got to have some mulligans in your pocket on them new ones. I'm just telling you right yeah. now, you got to. You gotta be, you gotta be patient with them. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. See, I'm in the situation where I've got an 11 year old that has some leg injuries and gotten to the point where she really can't go. Um, she doesn't think that. And that's, you know, it's, she still thinks she can, she can get it. And for by the last two years, she hasn't gotten to go a whole lot. She's probably not going to get to go at all this year just yeah. because she'll just injure herself again. yeah um, But she certainly still has the want to, but every morning that's a conversation. I stand there and I'm talking to her like, you know, and now she's really at 11. She's kind of like. I'm going to pretend like I want to go. But when I walk away from the house, I think at 11, I think she's just curling back up and she's pretty, pretty happy going back yeah. to bed at 4am. Yeah, they,
2: they last a lot longer mentally than they do physically.
1: No, absolutely. Um, You know, one question I wanted to get into, and this is interesting, you know, it is kind of Arkansas centric, but, but not really, you know, the shift in more white fronts, honey. Uh, oh my
2: God, man, we are. I mean, they are blistering them things here right now. Yeah. I mean, mean, they're everywhere you look.
1: Yeah, the place is crawling with speckle bellies. There's there's no doubt about it. And the secret's out. I mean, I talked to buddies from Indiana to Louisiana, you know, even in Texas. And guys are traveling to Arkansas to hunt this early season. It's pretty impressive. Um, But, you know, from a retriever training perspective, do you have people coming back to you and they're like, hey, man, like I've got this dog and we hunt primarily timber. And this dog, you know, this specific... You know, the specifics of hunting timber, it's difficult for some dogs, and you're probably training dogs for that, your dogs in in general. But do you have people coming back to you like, hey, man, I want to add some new techniques to really focus on specs and spec hunting?
2: The ground blinds are a must now that we train them into going out of those things. And dogs using A-frames now, these dogs are, you know, using where they're sitting either on the end of them or they're actually inside of them. Uh, Why those guys are hunting So they can hide them But uh, but I'm going to tell you And you know You talked about The last few seasons In Arkansas And and the way that's been You know These guys are killing More specks now Per season Per pit Than they are ducks And 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 and, and I'm telling you I know groups already That are in you know that have killed two and three hundred specs and uh you know we can't kill but two of them but these guys they're using these a-frames and they're lining people up you know 20 and 30 long in these a-frames and they're getting their limit and i mean i, I know very few people that have been very few people that have been this year already We're two weeks into it that have gone without limiting out and I uh, mean everybody's killing them and they we've i, I managed a some pretty good sized forms here for for hunting and and all of those guys that are hunting there. I mean, they're all new to it. They're all in the last couple of years. It's kind of a new gig, and but they are they are absolutely having a blast doing it. It's a lot of fun, you know, especially when you can't hunt ducks. You know, I'm a I'm a mallard guy. You know, I like shooting mallards in the timber, but you know if I can't do that, I'll go shoot specks for sure. And uh, and so uh, I've been a few times myself with those guys, and it's uh, it's definitely fun during our off season for sure.
1: Yeah, and it really adds, you know, it adds an element for the dogs, too I mean, I think it's, oh, a, it's yeah. a pretty cool I wouldn't
2: go out there without a dog Yeah,
1: I mean, it, you know, we've hunt, we hunt we them primarily on some dry rice fields But, you know, we hunt them during the season over flooded rice fields So it really changes, you know, it changes the dynamic for the dog And, and certainly you don't want to be out there chasing a, a crippled speck
0: Across no, a thousand no. yards
1: of rice field Because that's a, that's a bad that's deal right. So, you know, the last thing I want to touch on with you and it's something that I was actually going through Sport Dogs' website and just kind of looking at it and um and you had some you had you did a piece on like kind of the safety of you know training your dogs for snow goose season, which is also big in Arkansas, but it's big, you know, in a lot of different places. Um and some of the guys that I actually snow goose hunt with from Arkansas refused to allow people to have dogs. And I'm, And at first I was like, "Ah, oh, what a bummer. But then I realized that it's because they hunted with a bunch of dogs that were out of control. And when you got 10 guys and guns and decoys and, you know, the audio of the snow goose collar, you know, it's a lot of chaos for a dog and it can really be dangerous. Um, how do you go ahead and approach that from a training perspective?
2: Well, the, the biggest thing I think of, like a snow goose hunting, is extension tubes. I think of, you know, three-and-a-half-inch shells, and I think of lots of people. And that's not for every dog. And then I think of the excitement level of the e-collars or the electronic collars and, uh, you know, just how slow the birds come in. I mean, you know, I've seen groups when we're laying there smoking something with people, and they'll start balling up at, you know, twenty five, thirty five hundred 3,500 feet up, and they just circle and circle and circle on a good high-pressure bluebird day, you know, with a good nice wind, and then it takes them literally 5, 10 minutes to get to the gun range. And, man, that excitement and that anxiety from that dog is about to blow a gasket, you know, because everything, I mean, you see them out, here it comes you shoot it you might have a minute or two minutes and the deal but the snow goes, it's forever. And I think the anticipation of that for a dog is, you know, they're about to, you know, blow every fuse in the panel. So I think the excitement level is there, but just the raw killing that goes on and the numbers, uh, you know, you can man, I mean, you know, big volleys, lots of birds falling everywhere, uh, dogs running out to pick up long birds, picking up short birds. I mean, it is a pretty uh dysfunctional Retriever training event, you know what I mean, and so yeah, there's not absolutely that,
1: no way to recreate. No, it. and why would <laughs> you, you know? It's you like, know what I mean? but but
2: it's yeah. it's definitely. I mean, I mean, if you send a dog on a retrieve, uh, if you're at, at home plate to to uh, you know the last bird falls out, he's in right field, and you send him, and he overruns fifteen or twenty birds. Well, guess what? He's gonna stop and pick them up. Well, the next thing you know, uh, you know, he's not gonna want to blast out there at like two hundred or three hundred yards like he was on that last retrieve, and it's just. It, to cause his dogs to hunt short and one of them hunting the decoys and you know because they found so many birds there like that before and you know it's just uh it's just man it's just dogs are good at what they practice just like me and you if you're if you're into baseball and you practice baseball you probably be good at baseball If you're doing basketball same thing if you're doing golf same thing and whatever your dog does if he does it enough he'll become accustomed to it the problem is is that most people don't go on snow goose hunts very often. That's something they do as a novelty after duck season uh, and, you know, in the spring migration and they're not getting to go very much. So the dogs aren't real good at it or all that chaos and all that excitement and all that going on. So that's why those goose guides really don't like those dogs being out there. Plus you don't want a dog to, to it, that man, I don't even know how to describe it, but those hundred shots going off at one time, is more than a lot of dogs can withstand. You mm-hmm. know, and a lot of these dogs, people that are going as as uh paid hunters that don't have a lot of hunting experience, and they're like, Man, I'm gonna carry my dog out there and give him some hunting experience. Well, you know, that ain't really the way to start it off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Know. And so so they end up running the hunt for running the hunt for, you know, the rest of them, and that's not what anybody wants to do either, you know. <laughs> so, and we sure don't want to embarrass anybody in front of eight or 10, 12 people uh, out there while you're trying to hunt. You know, I think that's the reason you see a lot of these guys not really welcome. I mean, uh, you know, customers or clients dogs out there in the spread
1: yeah it's a it's a good point it's dangerous you know it's dangerous for everybody dangerous for the dogs dangerous for the hunters you know and it it truly is a a safety issue um chris before i get you out of here i just wanted to ask one more question and and really kind of narrow down and you may have already kind of touched on it but i really want you know your advice you know what is the one thing that you want people to take away um, regarding e-collars you know, and the way that you use them and the way that you feel like everyone else should use them. What's the one little takeaway?
2: I think the biggest, the biggest thing that everybody, no matter if you're a duck hunter or somebody just has a, a pet companion dog or if you're both, uh, I think the e-collar is, has changed the, the dog world tremendously. I would love to know the number of dogs that e-collars have saved their lives. You know, if you could call God up today and say, hey, how many dogs does an e-collar save their life? And people are like, what do you mean by that? So when you walk out in your front yard tonight and you're letting your dog do its business before you go to bed, and then your neighbors across the street, Chihuahua comes running out, raising cane, barking at your dog and thinking he's somebody. And then your dog decides to take off and run wide open across the street. When you've got an e-collar on, you just flip that button over there and he turns around and comes right back to you because he's collar conditioned to do that and and in the past if your dog wasn't conditioned to do that then your dog just might have had a horrible accident in the middle of the street you know what i'm saying and so i think that everybody can enjoy the e-collar uh you know through that that way because you can you can You know, get the dog's attention when you need to get the dog's attention, and you can make those corrections when you need to make the dog's corrections. And I think that's what I think that's where the e-collar has stepped in. And let's face it, it doesn't matter if you're a duck hunter or just a dog owner; you can use that and apply it to save you know your best friend.
1: No, that's awesome, man. That's that's really good advice. And uh, Chris, this has been great. It's been a great conversation. Um, hoping uh, the Arkansas opener is good for you. Uh, you know, hope hope it's good for everyone. Uh, I think your expectations are, are are pretty pretty good. I mean, you've done this long enough. You know, uh, not much water on the landscape. You you kind of know what you're dealing with here. Uh, so hey, good luck with the opener and throughout the rest of the season. Hopefully, we can get you back on the DU podcast sometime in December. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. All right, take care, Chris. I'd like to thank my guest, Chris Aiken from Webfoot Kennels and Sport Dog Brand Products, for coming on and talking about some different e collar training tips and just Sport Dog Brand products that he uses. I'd like to thank Chris Isaac for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to The Ducks. You and your dog are a team.